Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. When trouble comes, we need to know we stand on the unshakable foundation of our faith. Sadly, many Christians today falter in their faith because they lack biblical literacy and a love for truth. 1 John 4 tells us we must be instructed by the Word so we may discern between truth and error. Listen as Doug shares a word from 2019 that resonates more today than ever before. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gained anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Another article I wrote a few years ago is beginning to resonate again and realizing these messages are far more important today than when I first began to write them and teach about them and share on them. And I believe for me, as we revisit some of these messages, that I really believe this is a season and time that we're on the edge of something. We're on the edge of eternity. In fact, I remember when the late Leonard Ravenhill, he wrote me a note and said, Doug, let others live on the raw edge or the cutting edge. You and I should live on the edge of eternity. And it really is about perspective and focus, isn't it? Keeping our eyes on our first love and fixing our eyes on the Lord and realizing there's more to what's happening around us than just the circumstances that dictate our response. We need to be those who carry the presence of God and have a heart for the harvest and to see lives touched and transformed. That's one thing within the world of of always negative news. I want to bring us some encouragement, challenge, but encouragement that if we fix our eyes on Jesus and keep our eyes focused on the Lord and keep it focused on our first love, that we can see the redemptive purposes of God in our lifetime and, and to those that we love around us and into our communities. In fact, there's a battle for the soul of a generation in our nation. And a few years ago, I wrote an article, Are We Living in a Nineveh Moment? And I shared that again recently. That particular article, by the way, and you can get any of these articles on my DougStringer.com, or if it's not there, contact us at our office, and we'd be happy to send you these articles, because I do believe the messages are important today. But in Are We Living in an End of a Moment, I shared that, is the church a reluctant Jonah? And that's such a good question for all of us, because Jonah was reluctant to speak the truth to the people of Nineveh, which would have brought judgment on Nineveh. But rather, God had to do something so providential and divine to get Jonah's attention, then out of reluctance did share the truth, and it caused the redemption of God, the grace of God, the relenting of judgment for another hundred years in Nineveh. Today, we live in a world of complexities and challenges where excellence battles with mediocrity, where vision and hope are robbed by lethargy and apathy. We need to know we are standing on the unshakable foundation of our faith. But sadly, many of us as Christians today are faltering in our faith because of biblical illiteracy or because of a lack of love for the truth or we've lost our passion. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 tells us how critical it is to be instructed by the Word so we may discern between truth and error. Like many of you, my heart aches at all the callousness and brokenness in our society today. There seems to be an erosion and unraveling of so many of our moral foundations. The Apostle Paul was deeply concerned that even amongst those who profess to know the truth, many would no longer have a love for the truth. In fact, he says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9-12, through 12, that many would be given over to deception, or even strong delusion, because they did not have a love for the truth. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, it encourages us to make sure we're not disheartened or discouraged by this, but instead to keep our focus on the Lord. The book of Jude provokes and even challenges us to be spiritually prepared and spiritually fit to contend and do battle for the truth. 
Only those who are spiritually prepared, grounded, and in shape can effectively respond to the spiritual and moral battles of the day. A few years ago, a friend of mine, Jim Buchan, was editing one of my upcoming books that was going to be released, and he said something in our conversation that resonated in my spirit, and it provoked me to a deeper look at the spiritual and political climate during the days of King Herod and under the reign of Caesar. And the similarities then are uncanny even today. The murderous spirit of Herod ordered the killing of children to keep them from their destinies. Are we like that today by offering our children on the altar of comfort and ease? And what do we come to when we offer our children on the altar of Moloch and offering the blood of our children from the womb and even to those who are left abandoned to themselves and their own vices as children? No matter what denominational or political affiliation we have, it's an atrocity when any society disregards life in the womb, even to the point of birth. Later, when Pontius Pilate offered the people a choice between Jesus and Barabbas, who was a robber and thief, the same murderous spirit was at work. The crowd was swayed to choose Barabbas, rejecting the truth in Christ. Here's what they said in John chapter 18, verse 40. They all cried out again and saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The crowd's peculiar and preferred choice literally went into mocking Jesus later in chapter 19 to chance of crucify him, crucify him. How is a society or how can a people be caught up in the mob mentality and the group mentality from one moment making a decision, a choice to reject Jesus and choose rather Barabbas? And then later it goes on to even a greater atrocity when they were given a choice and began to cry out to this one who had no sin, one who had done nothing wrong, and to call out Jesus' name and to crucify him, crucify him. It's easy to become skewed in our walk because we become skewed in our thinking. And just like the crowd who chose Barabbas, the challenge for the church today, for you and me, is to identify what choices we're making that contradict the love of truth, authentic righteousness, and justice, which end up clouding our discernment and judgment. In Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn the ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, part B says in the New King James Version, But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. This scripture is among one of the most encouraging, inspiring verses in the Bible when you consider that the word yada or to know God is that those who really have a relationship with know God can do great things and do great exploits. Who doesn't want to be strong and carry out great exploits in the Lord? But I find it interesting that the next three verses go on to say this, And those are the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Daniel eleven thirty three through 35 It's sobering to know that God is saying here, those who teach you or teach us shall fall. Yet when that occurs, there is a choice to make. Many who fall when confronted, will remain in their sin and even justify it by creating their own theology or justification by excuse rather than by faith. They will head down the slippery slope of destruction, taking others with them who follow their itching ears. But those who choose the path of humility will come back even stronger than before. 
That word yada in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, is the Hebrew word which to means to know God. It's not to know about, not to read about, not to know at a distance, but to have a relationship, an interactive relationship with the Lord himself. It's them that will do great exploits. And when there are their struggles, no leader sets out to fail. No pastor, no preacher, nobody says, I can't wait to go do this and I'm going to fail or I'm going to sin. No one sets out to do that. That's why it's important for us to be honest with God and honest with ourselves and to make sure we set righteous parameters around us to help us so that we have what I call the non-negotiables. There are certain things I know that I cannot even go down those paths. And in fact, when it talks about them making a choice of intrigue, that means to be through flattery. So some people are propped up by flattery. It's a slippery slope. When you live under flattery, self-righteousness, self-justification, self-absorption, we will continue down a slippery slope and keep propping up institutions rather than an incarnational presence of God. But the encouraging thing in Daniel chapter 11 through 33 through 35 is also when there are those who fail us, some will go down the slippery slope of intrigue and flattery, while others will humble themselves and they'll come back stronger than before. We all come through confrontations of choices. We come to places of we may fail or we may not honor the Lord with the way we should honor him or we disappoint people. The point is not about what we do at that moment. It's how we respond on our knee posture in broken humility. King David was a great example. When he was confronted with this sin by the prophet and he said, thou art the man, David's eyes were open. He said, oh God, forgive me. He rent his clothes. David used to pray, God, forgive me of my hidden sins presumptuous sins. Show me my sins so I can repent of them. The issue for David is God spoke of David as one who was after his own heart because David, though he was not a perfect man, had a heart that wanted to be perfect before God because he served a perfect God and God was able to get to his heart and David would not justify his sin. But rather, he, when confronted with his sin, he humbled himself before God. Back in January 10th of 2019, during a vision casting meeting with my staff, we had a strong sense they would soon see a shaking or greater shaking, even an implosion of ministries that have built up on institutional structures rather than incarnational presence of God. It's so important for us to get back to our first love, stay tethered to the Lord, so that when the church quakes and the shakings continue to come, we can be prepared in our hearts for the harvest that is also to come. For many years, God has been pressing on me that the church needs to prepare because our season of shaking is coming, Hebrews 12, 27. Like I said, in the 1980s, I wrote an article called The Lord's Provision During the Shaking. I believe we're in that moment now. God, I believe, is shaking us and takes us out of our Egypt or world into our journey to get the world out of us. And in that place, we're able to possess the land that God is intending for us and that we can be victorious. So in other words, when God takes us out of our Egypt, out of our past, out of our sin, he allows us to go through the desert or through the wilderness times to get the world out of us to prepare us to go in to possess the land of promise. If we accept the truth and not reject the truth, we can expedite God's plans. You see, how we receive the truth, let's say at Mount Sinai in the promised land, expedites or it postpones God's promises to us. The Lord's disciplines always begins with his own and in the house of the Lord. When the shaking comes, only those things that are part of the unshakable kingdom can withstand and remain. In fact, in Psalms 112, verse 1 through 6, it promises us that the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments, surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. God does not tolerate unrighteousness in the house of the Lord. 
God has given us long periods of peace and prosperity so we can be a blessing to the nations, but many times we have chosen not to rely on God or rightly steward the resources He has provided to us. Instead of choosing God's ways, oftentimes we follow the ways of the world, building on concept and structures rather than on the character of Christ and His kingdom. As I've often said, while men reach for thrones to build their own kingdoms, Jesus reached for a towel to wash men's feet. God wants to shift resources to the unjust stewards that we see who have become enamored with their own celebrity and popularity and to redistribute them to those who have been faithful with the little things and are still seeking after their first love. There are many ministries out there that have been faithful with the crumbs off the table for many years, and now is the time for their reward. I believe God is shaking things up first within the house of the Lord to take those who have been faithful with the crumbs who have not blame-shifted, projected on others, but just taken the stewardship that has been allotted to them. And the Lord is going to remove some of the stewardship of those who have misused it, institutionalized it, have become self-absorbed and self-righteous, self-centered. And God's going to begin to remove some of that in parts of the church world and give it to those who have been faithful with what they have been allotted to. In fact, remember Jesus tells a story of the unjust steward and he says, those who have taken what I've given and multiplied it, I will take that from those who have not done anything and give it to those who have multiplied. So God is looking for the faithful and those who have stayed consistent. When the shaking continues to happen, through moral failure or financial implosions. We're not to rejoice as Jeremiah wept when Israel fell. We must also pray that those who have fallen will repent and come back stronger. A shaken church will lead to scattered sheep, so there'll be many wandering in the desert and becoming discouraged, but we must be ready to receive them with grace and compassion. It will not be a time to gloat over the fallen shepherd or to become puffed up. In Daniel 11.32, the Hebrew word I mentioned earlier was yada, which means an intimate, interactive, and submissive relationship with God. This is similar to konosko in the New Testament, where Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings or passions. Another word here, as I said, for sufferings is, is passion. When we truly know God, we are passionate about the same things that he is passionate about. God wants to bring us success and victories, but we cannot compromise and do things the way the world says. We must do things in a way that pleases God. How do we please God? By loving people and showing them Jesus, by embracing those who may fail with a heart that's truly broken for people that have been scattered, and by gathering in the scattered sheep and pointing them to the great shepherd who never fails them. You know, it's amazing to me how it's easy to blame God, but the reality is we are flawed humanity. And it's easy to blame people, but as I've tried to encourage people, don't look to me. I will let you down. May we keep our eyes and direct people to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. We must speak the truth using love and discernment. And I've always said we must speak the truth in love, seasoned with grace, but we must speak the truth nonetheless. Instead of being critical and heaping condemnation on people, we must ask ourselves, what are we going to do to help bring redemption or a solution to the situation? The Bible is very clear. They are not to give place to the devil. We have the good news. Let us keep focused on what God has called us to do to bring positive change. Lasting transformation comes only through Christ Jesus and Christ alone. Yes, the shakings are coming in greater measure. But Hebrews 12 also encourages us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And in verse 27 through 29, he says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So the unshakable kingdom remains. 
More than ever, I sense an urgency to dig deeper in consecration, higher in expectation in the Lord, clinging to the truth. As every institution we have placed our hopes upon, sacred and secular, is being shaken, the Lord is searching throughout the church with lamps of His Holy Spirit and marking those who are settled in compromise and complacency. I was rereading Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12 recently, and it says, Go throughout Jerusalem, and that's a type of the church today, isn't it? Go through the church with lamps of my Holy Spirit and mark those who have settled in compromise or complacency. In other words, God is saying, shed light on the dross and the rubbish and the things in our lives that are not pleasing to God, that we would get back our first love, we get back to our passion for God and a compassion for people. Don't be settled in compromise and complacency. He's searching out and marking those now who are weeping for the detestable things we've seen or the abominable things that we've seen going on, as I said earlier, Ezekiel 9, 4. So God is searching through the church. He's marking those who are weeping over the abominations with brokenness. And he's also searching out and marking those with another mark who are settled in complacency and compromise. Some, again, will continue to prop up through flattery and the slippery slope of flattery and intrigue justifying by excuse rather than being justified by faith and they're not willing to turn or change because they're enamored with celebrity they're enamored with who they are they're enamored with being around people that seem to have something or are somebody by title god's not impressed with our titles god's not impressed with celebrity he is our celebrity and he wants us to walk in humility and in reverence and fear of god so we can truly honor him truly know him the yada and the konosko of god in the hebrew yada in the Greek, to konosko, to know God, to really know Him, so we know His passions and know His heart. I was rereading something I wrote and quoting William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He was born in 1829 and passed in 1912, but his words resonate for us even more so now. So here was this Methodist preacher, founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, and he said, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. In fact, the late A.W. Tozier in his article on the gift of prophetic insight said, what God says to the church at any given time period depends altogether upon her moral and spiritual condition and upon the spiritual need of the hour. Righteous leaders who continue to mechanically expound the scriptures without regard to the current religious situation are no better than the scribes and lawyers of Jesus' day, they, who faithfully parroted the law without the remotest notion of what was really going on around them spiritually. The prophets never made that mistake nor wasted their efforts in that manner. They invariably spoke to the condition of the people of their times. Whoa, we need today. We need preachers and politicians and everything in between who love God and love the people they're called to serve more than they love themselves. See, today we have some of the most oratorically gifted communicators, well-trained communicators, and pontificators. But what we need more today are those who have also been in the presence of the Lord, who can hear from Him and communicate His heart to a desperate world. We need to be those who love God and the people He has called us to serve more than we love ourselves. We need a leadership awakening to fill the vacuum of godly and courageous leaders we have in the land today. In fact, I wrote a book called Leadership Awakening because I really believe on these principles of the unshakable kingdom that no matter how we build on the principles of the world, a bigger business, a bigger company, a bigger church, a bigger organization, those principles can get us there. 
but it cannot sustain them when the shakings come. The only thing that can sustain the things that we've built is, is on the unshakable kingdom of the Lord. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 through 18, it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. That's like Jonah, wasn't it? Initially, he was reluctant to speak the truth, but yet he's called to do what he's called to do. He had to do it by will or unwillingly. God was going to make sure he got the word out. And I believe that God's speaking to us as the church today. Let us be willing vessels and voices of love and truth and righteousness and justice, rather than being reluctant spokesmen for the Lord. May we do what God's called us to do and bring the gospel of good news. We need today, more than ever, just like I wrote in my book, Leadership Awakening, we need a leadership awakening to fill the vacuum of godly and courageous leaders that we have today. See, revival will come by choice or by consequence. When Lou Gertzner, the former CEO of IBM, spoke at Harvard Business School in December of 2002, he told the students, transformation of an enterprise begins with a sense of crisis or urgency. No institution will go through fundamental change unless it believes it is in deep trouble and needs to do something different to survive. There is a battle for the heart of the church today and the soul of a generation. We literally need to recognize we're in deep trouble. If we're going to survive, there has to be change. We have to bring change. For it starts in our own hearts individually, then a corporate heart awakening in the church, a church corporate heart awakening, if we're going to see the soul of a nation impacted. So we do need an individual heart awakening that becomes a church heart awakening or church awakening if we're going to see any lasting healing in the soul of our nation or our generation. If our nation's broken foundations are to be fixed, then we, the church, must awaken our hearts and get back to our spiritual moorings and biblical principles. Psalms 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's better to have a heart awakening than a root awakening, isn't it? Duncan Campbell, the Scottish evangelist, revivalist who was known as being a leader in the Hebrides revivals in the mid-20th century, is quoted as saying, Revival is a community saturated with God. And in the book, The Bright and Shining Revival, he defines revival as this, nothing more than the impact of the personality of Jesus Christ upon a church or on a community. Throughout history, the church has grown through times of challenge. And as I said in Psalms 112, verse 1 through 6, it promises that the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments, surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Acts 4 is also an encouragement to us. The early church was threatened against speaking the truth of the gospel. Instead of bowing to the threats, they asked God for strength and boldness to persevere in truth. God sent them a shaking, but in this one they were filled with the Holy Spirit and boldness. Acts 4.31 The shakings are coming. And revival will come, but it comes by choice or by consequence. And because of that, we, the church, must be focused on the Lord, looking past the disappointments and disillusionments, because along with the shakings that come before us will come a great harvest. What a privilege it is for you and me to be a part of this great harvest. There are multitudes in the valley of decision who are looking for something in their lives. You and I have the answer. What a privilege it is for us to be like in Psalms 110, verse 2 and 3, that we will become an army of volunteers for the day of God's power, God's visitation. God is moving. Things are shaking. But we have an unshakable kingdom that we're a part of. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Get back to our first love and realize 
We cannot prop up institutional structures alone without the incarnational presence of God in our lives individually and corporately. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.